what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. U.S. health advisors want you to know your health coverage does not have to be complicated. If you aren't happy with your insurance plan, there are unlimited and comprehensive medical plan options available to you right now. U.S. health advisors offer solutions which can't be found anywhere else. They can even offer you the ability to purchase more coverage if and when you need it. U.S. Health Advisors offers fair rates and no surprises. Sounds nice, doesn't it? If you'd like to know more, contact U.S. Health Advisors at 828-554-3032 or by email at daniel.bryant at ushadvisors.com. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan Jackson. I am the co-director and co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. With me, as always, Chris Fry, who also shares in that same title with me in both of those two organizations, co-founder, co-director, Foot Candle Film Society and Foot Candle Film Festival. Chris, how are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Glad to have you here with us again, as always. And Foot Candle Film is our show where we talk about films, as you can probably ascertain from the title. Uh, today's episode, a little different in that you know, normally with our discussion show here, we talk about films and, and kind of a lengthy review of at least one or two films. Then we have some news and we have some other segments we do. However, today it is January 2020. The year 2019 is in the rearview mirror. Yes. Uh, we are still in that window of time, Chris, where we can squeeze in a best of 2019 show and not get chastised for it. So what we're going to do is go ahead and have our best of 19 show. That's going to be the last portion of the show. Chris and I are going to share our favorite films of 2019, as well as share with you a couple of uh, uh, categories we like to throw in the last few years, our biggest surprise from the year and our biggest disappointment from the year. So we'll be covering all that in the latter portion of the show. We'll also be talking about the Oscar nominations. The nominations came in for the, it's called the 2020 Oscars, but it's recognizing 2019 films. Right. So we're going to go through all the nominations of the main categories for that that we were really interested in. And then uh, give our kind of thoughts, predictions, see where things were maybe left off, maybe where the Oscars were, uh, were got it wrong. But before we do all of that, we do have one review. We've got to squeeze in here a, a 2019 technical release, although really most people haven't had a chance to see it until 2020. Winner of the Golden Globe. Winner of the Golden Globe for Best Drama Film. Mm-hmm. So that's the drama. The Gold Globes have it in two categories, comedy, musical, or drama. This one won Best Film for or Best Comedy drama. Musical. Oh. No, okay. Yeah, not quite. 1917, uh, latest war film from Sam Mendes. We're going to do a review of that film to kick us off. So... 1917 Oscar nomination discussion, and then we'll end up the show with our best of 2019 awards that Chris and I like to give. 
the no most prestigious, awards. the most prestigious award. I, I feel so, received. and I realize we don't have anything physical to give, but you know, your name will be completely uh, embronzed here on this show and, and standing the test of time for future generations to hear. People so. say it's always just an honor to be nominated, so that's what we're doing. Is we're, we're giving a lot more. So no, they shouldn't a lot care that we're not giving a statue. I completely anything. agree. A lot more honor coming coming your way. Hopefully, to the lucky films that are going to be named. But before we get into any of that, let's go ahead and start with our first official review of the show. Kind of our last 2019 review, I guess, as far as a film technically released in 2019, possibly. This is the latest from director Sam Mendes. uh, His war film, first World War film, it is 1917. You have a brother in the 2nd Battalion. Yes, sir. Is he alive? And with your help, I'd like to keep it that way. But they're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you don't, we will lose 1,600 men. Your brother among them. Chris, with 1917, we follow the story of two young British soldiers during the First World War as they're given, from you heard from the trailer, an impossible mission, delivering a message deep in enemy territory that will stop 1,600 men from dying, one of them being uh, one of our, our main protagonist's brother. Uh, is to keep them from walking into a deadly trap that, that we're finding out. Of course, this is back in the time where you didn't have uh, easy CB radios or cell phones to be able to call each other and let everybody know. So this is kind of the sure. way we had to do it, is we had to send two people off into the battlefield. A very dangerous mission. Now, Sam Mendes directed this film. He's uh, probably best known for American uh, American Beauty many years ago, Road to Perdition he did with Tom Hanks. He did... Uh, is it Jarhead? Uh, the yeah, Jarhead he did him. with Jake Gyllenhaal, I another did that, kind of military yeah. war film. Um, and he also did Skyfall, the what many people consider to be one of the best James Bond films made. Uh, two or three films ago, he did that one. So here we are with 1917. Uh, it's hard to talk about this film without talking about the gimmick. And I say the gimmick in, in quotes because I think it's quite a marvelous technical feat. Is that making the film in what's called one shot. Now, the idea is that the film technically doesn't cut, although I do believe I've read and seen that there are at least probably two cuts in the film, maybe three. Sure. But still, you're talking at least 20, 30-minute segments at a time, where it is a continuous shot. It's hard to talk about the film without talking about that aspect of it, and I understand that that's going to have its impact on people, how they feel about the film. Let me just ask you, putting aside the whole single shot thing, let's just kind of put that gimmick off to the side for a little bit. Okay. Tell me your thoughts about this film as a film, and then I want to kind of circle back to the technical aspects. But talk to me about it. What's your takes on the film, uh, just from an overall total picture, if we really don't try to hone in on this whole one-shot technical feat as much yet? Okay, um, so... I'll just come off and say I thought the film was okay. That's kind of an overall... Okay. Okay. The film was okay. Okay. Um, and we'll get into the reasons why. Right. Um, for me, there just really wasn't a story that I hadn't kind of seen before. Okay. Um, this was Saving Private Ryan told through the idea of a video game, 
where you had uh, big bosses cameos by Colin Firth, Andrew Scott, Mark Strong, Benedict Cumberbatch at different points in the film. And it was like you'd get to a big boss cutscene in a video game and they would talk to you and then you'd be like, oh, that's an actor I recognize. And then they'd go out and they'd continue walking. Um, mm. And it, that happened. So I just mentioned I've rattled off five names and that was the order they'd appeared in the film, too. So to me. But, you know, like with a video game, you can be entertained. Mm-hmm. So I was entertained, but story-wise, I was left a little left a little flat. Mm. So okay, all right, I, I'm I'm with you, and, and okay, maybe uh, I might elevate that just a little bit, and I'll say it was okay, <laughs> <laughs> a little better. I I, I I agree with you on story. It was a little lacking. If you're not thinking about the technical aspect, which we will get to in a moment. Which I find it hard for you not to be thinking about it. I mean, it's it, just well, so and that's, heavy. That is part of it is that uh, there are long stretches of this film where not really anything's happening. You're just walking and it's building tension. The whole one-shot thing, I think, is what makes some of those scenes work better than they would otherwise. However, you're right. When you're left at the end of the day, uh, it, it's, a, it's a tough film to really say that I enjoy other than I more technically appreciate it. Um, it, it does have some moments where it just kind of goes with some long shots, but again, you as an audience member are looking at it more from, oh wow, the camera hasn't cut yet. But if you take away that that technical aspect, and there's just not a lot there. Yeah. Um, no, there's you know, story wise is very slight. Um, acting I thought was serviceable. It's a much more of a physical demanding roles than it is a dialogue driven. There's very little dialogue in this film for many many large swatches of it. Um, I, I, I take it from the effect of if I look at it from a technical mindset, I'm very impressed. Now, agreed. I think very well done. It left me actually wondering at times how they got the shots they did and how they made it work as well as they did. It was impressive. But if I take away that aspect, right. like what we're talking about, I, I do feel like there's it's, it's lacking in well, some areas. And I, you know, so I said, okay, and that's because it weighed on my mind that the things that I were being was being impressed with was the technical achievement. Yeah. You know, it was a two hour film, but to me, honestly, you would think if it's just people walking and talking, I wouldn't be that impressed and wouldn't be that engaged. I was, but it was more from a technical aspect and not from a story because we've already talked about how it was pretty standard, pretty pedestrian. Um, you know, before we, like laud about how awesome it is and kind of go into detail about some of the shots, which I'm sure we will, because mm-hmm. that's where we're saying it, it excels. I do want to mention, I felt like a character's demise was a bit telegraphed to me and I was kind of just waiting for it to happen. I kind of felt like, and maybe not for you, but I felt mm-hmm. like I had an idea that something, and sure enough it did. So I thought that was kind of a little trite maybe. Um, also, there were some coincidences in the script and all movies have coincidences, but when you're focused on something that is going for the one take, this is like real life. You're entrenched with these people. You're walking the trenches, you're walking the long miles, you're doing all these dodging bullets with them. Then when you have things that just seem like kind of stupid or coincidental, you just, 
Some coincidences were just too... There maybe uh, you noticed them a little bit yeah, they more. They were just too situation. much of a story contrivance. When the story is non-existent and then you have a story contrivance, it makes it pop out that much more. Well, I'll say there was a convenience of cow's milk without giving anything away. Yes. And then there was a cherry tree heartstring pull that I will not go into mm-hmm. <laughs> that just so was like, okay, I get it because it's... The story is so thin, and then you have these like road bump coincidences, and you're like, "Oh yes, I'm supposed to feel something now because." You know? Yeah. So that 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 took away a little for well, me. Well, and I think the video game analogy you gave is interesting because I, I do I did think about that too, uh, in that you know just like a lot of more modern uh, video games that I, I see, you have long stretches where you're just walking to a place, and you know maybe something happens along the way, but sometimes you're just walking, walking. to the place. And you do encounter characters who give you more information or kind of point you in the right direction. And you're right. The framework was very similar to that. Even from a visual standpoint, even though it's not necessarily the the same view you would see in a video game, there are times when the camera is following the people around where you're just like, yeah, this does actually kind of feel like I'm guiding that character in a way. So I I can see that. Um, The conveniences and some of the, the, the contrivances do stand out more than I think they would in another film because, because you're thinking about the single take and the fact that it's a linear path that this person's following. It's a little more, uh, it's a little clear to you that, huh, that's interesting that this happens to be right along this path or they happen to be going this direction the right way. Right. So it does exaggerate those more. I don't think this has any more conveniences than a typical, big Hollywood film does, but we notice it more because of the way the film is structured and shot, uh, I think, from that standpoint. So um, I will say, you know, technical or not, I think there are some scenes that were really well done, tense scenes that, you know, had some great uh, action and motion to them that uh, I think sometimes were very surprising and kind of uh, startled you as an audience member, and I thought that was well done. Um, and I will say that the two actors that we follow for the most part, you know, I think played the physical roles really well. I mean, they had a lot to do. They did uh, a lot of heavy lifting to do physically in the film. And I think they were pretty amazing in what they did on that aspect. Um, you know, didn't have to worry as much about dialogue cause there is not as much, but there is some. And, and sure. I think it's, uh, overall, I thought the acting was, was good. I thought the acting for the type of film that it was and what they were given to work with, I thought was a really, really good performances. Um, it's just really, you know, I, I saw that this film was nominated, I think, for a screenplay. And that's where I just kind of said, ah, that, that's where it kind of loses me because I just don't see this as a written film. I right. see this as a truly technical film. Right. And that's where I got my enjoyment Blocking from and it. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk kind of technically and some things that we feel like really work for the film. Um, sure. I will say for me, there's two or three sequences I thought that were visually extremely impressive and really worked. Probably my favorite, the nighttime chase through kind of a bombed out city with explosions. No, you did not care for that. I love that scene. I'll, t- I'll tell you why. Okay, that's fine. Continue. Uh, it's something I've noticed that, uh, you know, the cinematographer on this was... Deacons. Uh, Roger Deacons, who uh, that's actually something I remember when he did Skyfall with Sam Mendes there was a lot of sequences towards the end of the film that were with fire and explosions in the back and, you know, it's kind of at night. And I, I think they've kind of got a good match for that. I, I love the scenes. I thought they were visually really, really exciting and interesting to see. Uh, why, why didn't they work for you? Uh, because I'd already seen it in Skyfall. Okay. And because so it was done repetitive. by the same two people. Yeah. And, um, 
I'm not saying it wasn't shot well. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not disagreeing. It was. It was beautiful. It was technically well-crafted. But because it, it's, it's a contrivance that I didn't mention, um, because it was at nightfall, um, and it, it's at night, you know, there's some instances where they're burning buildings that are help providing light. Okay. Mm-hmm. I get that. That's fine. And it's convenient that it's enough for you to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Okay. I get that. What I kind of found a little bit of a problem was, was they were helped by flares at some point. And I'm like, okay, I don't really understand why somebody's just randomly shooting off flares everywhere other than because we need the light for the film. Yeah. Um, that, I, that I understand. But, and then the way the scene works out, I guess you could excuse it that maybe there were some bored enemy soldiers that were just doing this because they had nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't, I, 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 I had problems buying it. So that was kind of a contrivance. I was like, oh, well, convenient that someone's randomly shooting off flares so that we could see. It. But I, I don't disagree. It looked amazing and it was well blocked and well shot, you know. So all that, yes, just within the frame of the movie. Mm-hmm. It was a little right. contrived for me, but I, I do admire the shot. I so. mean, yeah, yeah I, think, I think if you got something that works really good in another film and you want to give not, it another world, I, I'm all for it. At least it's the same team that's doing it. It was I awesome. Mean, I thought sure. that sequence, that was my favorite sequence <laughs> okay. of the film. There's also an underground bunker kind of uh, explosion sequence that, you know, just edited well. Or I guess it's not really edited. It was one one shot, but blocked well and sure. shot well, and just you put you right in the thick of it. And it I, was really impressive as well. I do like that scene. There's another one that I think I've heard you mention to a coworker when you were discussing the film in passing. But um, it was it's an early instance of noticing like, okay, yeah, this is a gimmick, but it's a really cool gimmick, and mm-hmm. they're doing a really good job of it. Um, the people or the the two guy the two soldiers. They're having to traverse some terrain, and mm-hmm. there's like a big, basically a big pit with kind of like a a water in the middle yeah. of a crater, and they have to skirt around the perimeter of it. Well, the camera, of course, because it's you know one take nature, follows them down into the crater, but then they skirt the outside because they're not going to go traipsing through like really deep water. But the camera continues straight and pivots around and follows awesome. the rest of the traverse around the perimeter, but it goes straight through the middle. The seamlessness of that was really cool. Yeah. Um, and well, this, even there was even a scene like in that nighttime uh, bombing shot uh, or chase scene where you see a character go through a window, like a small little uh, half window into a building hmm. and goes through it. But the camera almost glides through the wall mm-hmm. and it's still one shot. Uh, um, I mean, I know there's I think I read somewhere they you know, kind of handed off the camera to someone who was on the inside and right. just carried it through. But the fact that it's still so seamless and smooth and you just, I mean, people like us are going to try to figure out or try to look and see how they did the shots. Most of the general public watching this is just going to get caught up in the fact that they feel like they're really following this character. And it's a very, uh, you know, uh, a, a very it adds to the realism of the effect. Sure. So. I realize not everybody's going to be sitting there trying to figure out how did they pass the camera through the wall or how did they do it across the water. The effect is what they were going for. And I thought, I thought all that was extremely impressive. I really do. And I guess it was extremely impressive. What kind of knocked it down a little notch was that I feel like I've seen it before in Birdman, which was a movie that got awards attention a while ago. You were a bigger mm-hmm. fan overall of the movie. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a war movie. But it was, you know, Michael Keaton, struggling actor, yeah. and the kind of it did this 
basically faked one take for the entire movie. A lot of steady yeah, around the corners. difference there is I think with Birdman, it was a stylized faked one take. There was a lot of manipulation in the shots, I think, in Birdman, where, you know, they round a corner and it was pretty obvious they goes to black for black. a split second. Now, I don't think they tried to ever give off the technical impression and doing behind-the-scenes videos of saying, this is how we pulled off this elaborate one shot. I think they kind of knew that it was a lot of it was – use of CGI or stage stuff to kind of blend it. Mm-hmm. This one, I think, you know, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes footage out there now that the film and studio are putting out to show that, no, this was really, like, one and shot. To try to get Academy Awards for, well, yeah, hey, exactly. you should appreciate us. Uh, yeah. There was only one moment where, I mean, I, I knew for a fact that was a cut that was, you know, a little... It was a waterfall scene. Mm-hmm. And that was mean. the only one that even the people I was with watching the movie are just like, oh, yeah, that kind of kind of pulled me out for just a second because so much of the movie is so real with that transition, even though I feel like there might have been some cuts when they went into some underground bunkers and it goes to black just for a split second. I'm like, well, that's enough to make a cut right there, you know, but uh, the waterfall scene was the only one that I'm just like, uh, you know, it felt like it had a little CGI well, in there or something just to kind of make that transition. And work. I think a question that has to be asked is why? Yeah. Why? 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 I mentioned in, in I mentioned Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, that film was not done in all, all one cut. Right. Um, why uh, was why the, do that? Yeah, yeah, and like what does the film gain? It's impressive that a lot of the cinematography is awesome. It's impressive they were able to pull it off, that the camera crew was able to do it, that the director was able to make it happen, and that the actors were able to mm-hmm. keep things going and make it work. All that's very impressive, but then it comes back to what does it Why? add to the story? What does it add to the story? And to me, the story being non-existent, I guess that's the one aspect of the quote-unquote story is the fact mm. like, well, I can appreciate this technical achievement and how amazing it is that it happened. But at the end of the day, it kind of comes across as being like a, a thrill ride that I've gone to at Disney World. And after I get off, I talk with my family like, oh, yeah, that was really cool how they did this and this and that. That was really amazing. But then the memory fades and all that you remember is that you – rode an amusement park ride mm-hmm. and that's what this was for me you know I, you know it memory's fading already so no i i i will give it props and say that if somebody is, is you know if people are asking for recommendations on this film it's like look i think it's worth seeing i think it's an interesting film to see um i think it's well made absolutely well made from well a technical made. standpoint sure. I do agree with you on the question of, you know, why, why does the film even exist? I mean, what, you know, it's, it's not a story we haven't seen before. The one, the one shot, you know, I don't think it adds terribly much to the experience of watching the story unfold. No, because um, other films like Saving Private Ryan, Thin Red Line, Jarhead, which you mentioned, they can give you that feeling of being embedded in yeah, wartime yeah, and, and all the, you know, the graphic the violence shot. that can sometimes mm. happen. That's all been done. So yeah. at this point, I will say, though, you know, if people are looking for if people like war movies mm-hmm. or you really want a theatrical experience, this is that. Oh, I mean, yeah. it is something that needs to be seen. If you want to see it, please go see it in the theater yeah. because it's going to mean that much more when you can hear the sound and see the detail that's, you know, huge. I will say sound is the other thing I thought was you know, watching in the theater experience was pretty impressive and that, you know, obviously – uh, making sure you, giving you that full immersion that the the single shot and the cinematography does, but the sound really added to that as well. So, um, yeah, technically, I think it's extremely well done. Sure, I just feel like uh, story wise, there's not a lot to it. 
you do end up kind of questioning why they even use this whole technique if, if it didn't really add a lot to the storytelling process. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of a, it's a muted acceptance on, on both our ends. I will say the one last thing I was going to mention, I hate that uh, the probably the biggest shot in the film is, is in the trailer. Yeah. Like, I kind of waited the whole movie for that shot, and I'm like, oh, there it is. <laughs> it and, is. man, yeah. I wish I hadn't seen that in the trailer because it would have been even more impressive to see it the first time when you're watching the film, I feel like. Yeah, if actually they show one of the cut scenes I mentioned, which is okay because it's the, one of the very first ones, uh, Colin Firth, they showed, yeah. we played the audio right. for it. Um, yeah, if they somehow could have figured out how to do that and then just show some quick other moments and have it be that. But they play a yeah. whole stretch of that oh, final yeah. it's really run sequence that's probably the most visually impressive shot of the whole film. And you get 20 seconds of it in the trailer just about. It's like, oh, come on. And the internet, internet is flooded with split-screen videos of the scene, what you see in the yeah. movie, and then the behind-the-scenes. Yeah. And yet, it is impressive. <laughs> but I would have rather seen it in the movie sure. the first time. I think it would have been so impressive if you landed on that, that big scene at the end and not know where, that it was coming. Agreed. That would have been impressive. But as soon as I saw him start to run out of the... The, like, oh, the 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 uh, the trenches. I'm like, up oh, here we go. Here's the <laughs> shot we've been waiting for. So, sure. Anyway, 1917. I think we're both saying impressive film. Te- uh, technically, very very uh, uh, worth a watch. Just not a lot to hang on to beyond the technical aspects of the film. That is 1917. It did win the Golden Globes for best drama film and also for best director for Sam Mendes. We will be talking about both of those choices uh, as we get to our Oscar nominations, which is coming up next. So. Chris, with this part of the show, uh, we normally, you know, we'll get some news items or try to talk through some things happening in the movie world, but we're going to focus on something very, very timely. We do this every year in that we talk about the Oscar nominations. Yes, we realize there's other award shows that happen, but the Academy Awards is kind of the big daddy of them all. It's the one that we are generally interested in to see throughout the year what films end up on these lists. They announced the nominations, and we needed to go ahead and hop on this because the award ceremony comes up pretty quick. It's yeah. like in really like a three-week window like that between nomination and the awards, which is very odd. Normally, there's more over like a month and a half or so. Right. So what we're going to do, we're not going to touch on all the nominations, but Chris and I are going to go through some of the categories we're probably the most interested in seeing and understanding the nominations for them. We'll read the nominations, and we'll give some of our – take on uh, what they missed or kind of where we think the Academy is going to lead. And I'm also curious, Chris, to hear some of your personal preferences for some of these categories as well. Sure. So how about, let me go ahead and if it's okay, I'll go ahead and start us off here. And okay. uh, I was going to do, let's start off with the acting nominations, if we could. I'll start off with lead actor. So we had five nominations in the lead actor category this year. We have Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory. Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Adam Driver for Marriage Story, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, and Jonathan Price for The Two Popes. So, Chris, let me just kind of call out a couple things really quick. Sure. On my end, and then I want to hear from you as well. So, right off the bat, I see three omissions that I, two of them I thought were kind of interesting, and one, well, I'll say two of them were more personal. I kind of would have liked to have seen them in there. Okay. I uh, know Adam Sandler for Uncut Gems. That was, uh, I really expected that one to kind of squeeze in here at the last minute. Uncut Gyps is a film that's gotten a lot of buzz and traction in the last month or so. Right. Um, 
the I think the academy likes to recognize when somebody kind of steps outside of their typical uh, um, style of film. And obviously Adam Sandler doing this one, it was very, very different for him. Sure. So I thought that was a little bit of a shock that he wasn't in there. I agree. I was kind of surprised at that. The two I was kind of personally hoping for, but I knew they were a little more long shot. Eddie Murphy for my uh, Dolomite is my name would have been great to see him in there. Um, and then I still like uh, uh, Taron Egerton from Rocket Man uh, playing Gelton John. Those those were three. It would have been really cool to see in this mix. But I realize you got five. It's a limited number. Um, but Chris, of the five, any other thoughts or surprises, or, or what do you think is going to be the one that the Academy picks here? I you know I. I'm not surprised I left Eddie Murphy out, um, but I, it would have been nice to see him. I was a little surprised at Adam Sandler being left out. Yeah. I had no love for Taron Egerton. Um, I mean, he's fine. Rocket Man was fine, but you know, with all the blowback of Bohemian Rhapsody fallout, I didn't figure that they would do that two years in a row. So mm-hmm. that didn't surprise me. The one that I'm a little disappointed, and it could have easily slotted in for Jonathan, Jonathan Price and Two Popes. Mm-hmm. Um, is the fellow who was in both Waves, which I mentioned last week, and Luce, oh, right. uh, the main yeah. actor in that. And I have completely blanked on his name. So, but <laughs> <laughs> Always um, a good sign. <laughs> well, the, the, the reason why, maybe yeah. while I'm like rambling here, I'll, I'll maybe look him up. up. Yeah. yeah. So the reason why is his standout role for me was Luce. I was like, who is this guy? You know, he was amazing. And I really hoped... You know, because that film was really strong with a lot of acting. And then I turn around and I see him in waves. And I'm like, okay, it wasn't just a fluke. This guy, yeah. he's definitely got the goods. What's his name, Alan? Kelvin Harrison Jr. Thank you. I knew it was I, a junior there. Oh, I but. really liked him in Loose. I have not seen Waves yet. I, I think the problem there is it's just two films that nobody saw. Sure. I mean, it's he's got two great performances in a year, and that's awesome. But it's two films that very, very few people saw. Probably sure. a lot of the Academy voters didn't even see. Sure. So I think that makes it a little tricky for him, yeah. uh, unfortunately, there. Um, so where do you think the Academy is going to go with this one? So, yeah, I'd, because it's like, you know, Golden Globe type thing that often overshadows, you know, even my pick because I'm like, well, that's what they did. Um, I think it's likely that Joaquin Phoenix will get it for Joker. Um, where I would I like for it to go? Um, I'd like for Adam Driver to get it for Marriage Story. Don't yeah. think that'll happen. I'd love it for Adam Driver. But honestly, I got to give it to Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, as much as I'd love Adam Driver to get it, because I do like his role in Marriage Story quite a bit, um, Joaquin Phoenix, I think, kind of earned it. I mean, mm-hmm. it is, say what you will about Joker as a movie, his performance, you know, the way he performed it, the way he, he put it on screen, it was pretty fascinating. So I think he'll win it. I kind of feel like he deserves to win it, so I'm okay with that one if that's where the Academy goes on that. I think probably second choice on the with from the Academy would be Leonardo DiCaprio. Right. Um, I could see that as I think I think you'll hear in my predictions, I think I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood could be the film that overpowers this thing quite a bit. When, and Leonardo DiCaprio taking it for best actor could be one of those the pieces of that puzzle. Yeah, in another week or two, you kind of start to feel or hear the avalanche of buzz, you know, and mm-hmm. kind of how things start to roll. And then definitely once the ceremony starts, you kind of get the feel like, okay, this is going to be a once upon a time in Hollywood yeah. time. There's typically this one film that kind of is the dominating film. Steamrolls everything yeah. else. Most yeah. of the time. Now, no, I think no, last year was a year where we didn't really have that film. It kind of spread out sure. throughout several. But generally speaking, there's normally that one film that just hit checks all the boxes. And mm-hmm. we'll see if that's going to be the case this year. All right, so that's best actor. Uh, that's our predictions there. 
So let's move along to actor in a supporting role. Okay. We have Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Anthony Hopkins for The Two Popes, Al Pacino for The Irishman, Joe Pesci for The Irishman, and Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I'll go ahead and say that I don't think I really have any like snubs that I felt like in this were in this category, unless you count maybe Robert De Niro from The Irishman also being left out. Yeah, <laughs> but, but he I think, I think he, would have been, he would have been a lead actor. True. Yeah. Um, so I think most likely the Academy will probably, I think, uh, give it to Joe Pesci for The yeah. Irishman. That's my um, prediction, too. Just because too. he had kind of stepped away from acting and he came mm. back because, you know, it's kind of like Martin Scorsese was playing the role of the Godfather, always bring me back in. Kind mm-hmm. of did that with Joe Pesci. Um, so I think he'll likely get it. Who is my, who would I kind of want to win uh, would be Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood because I think it was, it was him giving his all but as a side character. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, so much star power because obviously, but, you know, the way that film handled that, which we reviewed that on the previous podcast, it really made me appreciate Tom Hanks. He's a oh. national treasure. Yeah, so, he is. So that's um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the only one I thought was a little surprising, it, it, even though it's not a film I really liked, um, I still think William Defoe for The Lighthouse would have been interesting to see. So leave out one of the Irishmen people maybe yeah. for that. Or one of the, there again, the two popes nomination for Anthony Hopkins. Well, okay, I'll, I'll go be honest. It's a body the of two, work thing. The two popes is, I think, one of the only two movies on these major lists I haven't seen. It's... Uh, yeah, and I've I've gotten yeah. to see it. Uh, it's good, but it's nothing, you know. Nothing right nothing home. Nothing right now. home, but so. well, I, I, my prediction is I think the Academy. I'm with you. I think it's going to go to Joe Pesci. Okay. Um, I could see Brad Pitt squeaking in if the avalanche only starts. Only because the whole if uh, the Hollywood avalanche starts up, that could be another another win for I him. I don't know if people in Hollywood are willing to give Quentin Tarantino that much buzz of a holly of an avalanche like. But it's a movie his, about Hollywood. I feel like his it's ego just, will explode. Oh, <laughs> like, it will. But I also mean the little bit of body work, a little bit of you know all those other factors involved. I don't. I don't know. I'm, I uh, I'm happy seeing Joe Pesci win. I, I think of the five Joe Pesci's probably the one I'd want to see win. Tom Hanks. Yeah, I I I I gave my thoughts on his performance. I thought it was a, a, an adequate performance, but it wasn't the highlight of the film for me. Uh, as much as I love that film, and Joe Pesci, I thought really. Added something to his role. I, I enjoyed seeing him in The Irishman and, and liked his performance. So we'll see where it goes, but I think we're both predicting Joe Pesci may be the winner there. All right, so let's then move on to lead actress. Uh, we have five nominations here again. Uh, Sir, uh, Cynthia Erivo for Harriet. Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story. Saoirse Ronan for Little Women. Charlize Theron for Bombshell. And Renee Zellweger for Judy. Um, several interesting snubs in this category. Uh, Lapita Nyong'o for Us. Oh, man. That was my biggest disappointment. Um, okay, disappointment. See, okay, like for Luce, you know, for, you know, the guy there, which Benjamin, I've already forgotten <laughs> his name. Willie, Kelvin something Jr. Jr. I yeah. know the Jr. part. I'm just going to call him Jr. Just We're close. Junior. I'm yeah, supporting yeah. him. So Kelvin I'm call Harrison him Jr. Jr. There we go. Um, for him, that was just a disappointment, but it wasn't like a shock. I was shocked that yeah. Lupita Nyong'o got left off actress in a leading role. Well, and I'll tell you the one I think that kind of surprised a, me. It's a double role and yeah. all this stuff going well, on. Well, Charlize Theron as lead actor, I didn't see her role as a lead actress in the film, uh, in Bombshell. I, right. I thought she was going to, if anything, she would have been a supporting actress. So to see her as lead actress, that's a spot I really think should have gone to Lupita for, for us. Yeah. Um, Aquafina 
didn't get nominated, which she won Best Actress for Comedy or Musical at the Golden Globes. So you would think. It's a little disappointing there. And then Jennifer Lopez is one that a lot of people, well, supporting actress, I guess, is the area for her, really. It was a debate whether she'd be a lead or supporting. But either way, she's not nominated in either of those categories. And I think a lot of people see that as kind of a big a big surprise as well because that was one. I don't one know if other critics are biased by this, but for me, there's a lot of buzz out of Toronto with that film. And by the time I got around to seeing it, I was kind of like, eh, okay, yeah. it just felt very lightweight. Didn't have a lot to do with it. So not that JLo's performance, cause we're close. I can color that, um, <laughs> wasn't good. It was, but it just, yeah. I don't know. It just wasn't hefty. Well, enough. I think this one, I mean, Renee Zellweger is going to win this one from the Academy. I, I, I would rather see Scarlett Johansson from marriage story. I'd even be happy with Shisha Ronan from little women. Uh, I have not seen Harriet. So again, I'm not judging it. It's just, I haven't seen it. Sure. Um, and then Charlize Theron, I thought, was a fascinating impersonation. I just don't think it's a Best Actress performance. Uh, you know, maybe supporting actress in the film. That was more of an ensemble film. So, But I think Renee Zellweger is going to win it. What, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I would be surprised if she didn't. It would be a kind of a big shock if she didn't win it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, but and my favorite, or who I'd want to win, would be Scarlett Johansson from Marriage yeah. Story. Yeah. I, I, I think of the five, that's the one I was most impressed with, the performance there. So, yeah. For actress in a supporting role, we have Kathy Bates and Richard Jewell, Laura Dern in Marriage Story, Scarlett Johansson in Jojo Rabbit, Florence Pugh in Little Women, and Margot Robbie in Bombshell. Um, you know, interesting nominations there. I'm kind of surprised to see Kathy Bates with Richard Jewell. However, I will say it is a very strong performance um, okay. in the film. And when I was watching it, I was like, wow, you know, she is kind of a standout in this film. She, she's really good in that supporting role. So I'm kind of, I guess I should say happy to see her there. Mm-hmm. Surprised to see her there, but happy to see her there. I think they will probably give it to Laura Dern in marriage story. I think mm-hmm. that may be the one thing that marriage story walks away with from mm-hmm. the Oscars. Maybe, um, who would I like to see? Um, probably, you know, you know, Scarlett Johansson being double nominated in this and, you know, it definitely I'm, hurts. I think I would think I'd, <sighs> You know, with the exception of Margot Robbie, <laughs> mm-hmm. I like her as an actress, but it just wasn't really big and on Bombshell. I would, I would say any of the other four, I would kind well, of be in favor. I, of. I think I here's my prediction. I think Scarlett Johansson is going to win it for Jojo Rabbit. Oh, okay, I do. I, I think she's got a chance of winning that. I don't think she'll get she'll she won't win Best Actress, but I do think she could get this. There's a a lot of good buzz around her performance in Jojo Rabbit. It's, uh, I watched that film again just the other night just okay. to kind of catch up. And I yeah, need to revisit it. It's good. She's really good in it. Um, okay. I can see that or Laura Dern. Those okay. are two I think the Academy will go with. Me personally, I'm kind of with you. I, I haven't seen Richard Jewell. I've seen all the others. I'm pretty much fine with everybody except Margot Robbie for this performance. <laughs> I mean, I really am. And it's not that she was bad in the film. It's just we already talked about this film that her role was, I thought, really unnecessary for the right. film. Her performance, I don't think, was anything special with it. Um, I would have much rather seen her nominated for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood if she was mm-hmm. getting nominated for anything, and that was kind of surprising. she didn't have a lot of dialogue, her, her character had a lot impactful. to do. Yeah. yeah, I agree. So I think I think Scarlett Johansson could win this. I okay. think that could be her her supporting actress nom- uh, award. But also Laura Dern, I think, would be probably be a safe bet as well. Okay. <laughs> so that's the four acting roles. Let's go into cinematography. 
Um, Something I'm always kind of interested in seeing where they go with this. The five nominees we have are The Irishman, that's uh, cinematographer's Rodrigo Pietro, Joker, uh, Lawrence Shear, The Lighthouse, Jaron Blaschick, uh, 1917, we just talked about in our review, Roger Deakins, the cinematographer there, and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Robert Richardson. Uh, So my predictions here, I do think Roger Deakins will win for 1917. it seems like there's no way he couldn't. I kind of feel like, yeah, that's the only film of these five. Well, outside of The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse is one that has gotten a lot of talk about the look of the film mm-hmm. and all that. But 1917's just, I mean, people are seeing it. It's a pretty big box office movie. Too, yeah. yeah, it's... And it's Roger Deakins. I just, I think that's it. He's in the bag for that. Um, These are all, I mean, those five are really, really strong. Oh, yeah, they're all good. All are really, really, yeah, yeah. really strong. Yeah. Did you have a, a – and personally, I'm okay with 1917 winning. I think it deserves it. So you, you got thoughts on it? Um, no. I, I, I kind of similar along. I, my backup, if 1917, just because if you're – which is not the category. The category is not best picture. The category yeah, is cinematography. Direct, yeah, or uh, cinematography. Cinematography. Right. So, yeah, cinematography, I think that's what will get it, probably should get it. And I'm, I'm happy with it getting it. But my kind of backup would probably be Once Upon a Time in yeah. Hollywood, just because overall the movie kind of meant more to me. Um, but yeah, I, but that's for the category. Look, I mean, The Lighthouse right. also had some very True. unique, interesting cinematography to it. I just, I think 1917's got this one in the bag. Uh, I'd be shocked if it didn't win cinematography at this point. So, all right. Okay. So that's cinematography. What about director, Chris? So for directing, we have Martin Scorsese with The Irishman. We have the guy that nobody likes, and I'm blanking on his name. <laughs> Todd for Phillips. Joker. There we go. Todd Phillips for the Joker. We have Sam Mendes for 1917. Some guy called Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. This, you know, there again, you've got some, <laughs> you've got some heavy-hitting names in there. You have, names. Yeah, and uh, you have a foreign film in Parasite being nominated, which... Good for Parasite. Good to have the director, uh, 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 Bong Joon-ho, nominated for that. No women directors. No yeah. Greta Gerwig. So no Greta uh, Gerwig. No um, um, Lulu Wang. Right, for Farrell. Uh, no Noah Baumbach for Marriage Story, which I was disappointed by. But, um, you know, I get it. All five of these pretty pretty well-directed films, and I think good directorial performances. Four of the five names are ones you kind of expect to see. I will say... <laughs> Todd Phillips sneaking in there. Probably not anything <laughs> anybody would have predicted a couple of years ago. No, but um, no. So what? what's your thoughts there, Chris? Where's the Academy going to go for this one? You know, I don't think they'll go Joker. I don't think the Irishman would do it. You know, mm-hmm. Martin, but you have the whole body of work, and it is Martin Scorsese, and, you know, the film is well-reviewed and well-liked by one of the two hosts on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think they'll do that. You know, because... I, I think, who knows? I, I think it'll probably go 1917. I think so, too. Because of cinematography and the whole well, technical thing. And the director is the one making it happen on screen. And I oh. think that's an impressive feat. No, I think the Academy, I think 1917 is going to walk away with cinematography and director. Right. That's my prediction. I don't think it'll get beyond that. But I think those are the two it's going to win. Uh, my second choice would be Quentin Tarantino winning, which again, may be more of a body of work thing, maybe more of a recognition of everything else. Um, I'd love to see Bong Joon-ho take it. That's, um, that's who I want to take that it. That would be, to but... me, that was, 
outside of the technical aspect of 1917, the best directed from actors and placement and staging and setting of mood and tension and everything. I think Bong Joon-ho did the best job in Parasite with that. So, um, yeah, it would have been nice to see a Greta Gerwig or Noah Baumbach on this mix because I think their films deserved it. I think both are well-directed. But I will say these five they've got are really strong directorial efforts for sure. So, uh, before we get to best picture, Chris, let's hit sure. some of the kind of the c- different category films best of. So we've got best animated feature, and there are five nominations here again: How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, I Lost My Body, Klaus or Klaus, 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 yeah, Missing Link, and Toy Story Four. Okay, um, on full disclosure, of those, how many have you seen? I've seen one. <laughs> so okay. these next two categories, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I haven't seen many of these. I've seen all but How to Train Your Dragon, Hidden World. Okay, and so what's your? You are the best. You are in the best position to make a prediction on this. Then I think they will likely go with uh, Toy Story Four. Okay, even uh, though the Golden Globes went with Missing Link. True. Yeah. I would be happy if they gave it to Missing Link because of body of work for Leica Studios. The and it kind of breaks it. up the whole Pixar m- monotony. The chokehold yeah. um, that they have on that category, seemingly. Um, I liked Missing Link, but I do feel like... And it, you know, Toy Story has so much backstory with it coming yeah. with it that it's kind of hard not to give it to it. And theoretically, it is the final one, supposedly. Well, yeah, <laughs> but I, I, I almost don't want to give it to that just because I still feel like it was kind of an unnecessary... <sighs> Film. I disagree. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, three was good enough on its own merits, but I, yeah, it's, that's, yeah, we, just, we said that in the review. I think it's just kind of all, uh, it's just, yeah, anyway, we, we won't rehash that review. Sure. But I, I'll be a little disappointed if Toy Story 4 got it because it's kind of like, all right, like the Toy Story franchise has gotten its best animated film uh, nomination before and won, won before. It's the fourth well, one. See, and Give I feel like that's new. why the Golden Globe, it may have gotten the Golden Globe because people have Toy Story fatigue. Um, and I think that yeah. maybe why we should look at it. I will say a surprise for me, but kind of a nice one in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, another animated movie that I've seen is Frozen 2. Okay. And it is a Disney film. So Disney mm-hmm. does not have – it used to be anything – Disney could just like animate a blue blob on a screen mm-hmm. for you know 80 minutes and that would get nominated seemingly for – anything Disney puts out animated, it's going to yeah. be nominated. Frozen 2 was not – in not nominated at all for best animated film, which surprised me. Um, something else that kind of surprised me is um, Claws, which is on there, was a Netflix movie mm-hmm. that got in there. So they left off Frozen Two, which you know made tons of money. Sure. It's like, but put that on there, which was released. I don't think it was actually released in theaters. I think it may have gone just to Netflix, but I guess maybe it did. I'm not sure. But still, surprising that that was on there. I lost my body is a subtitled mm-hmm. uh, foreign film, so kind of it's the diversity in the animated feature film category kind of surprised me, well, and the fact that you're leaving Frozen Two, sorry, can't resist out yeah. in the cold. Um, <laughs> well, I think I think me. the diversity is great because I mean I think for a while that you know these animated films. I mean I remember there was actually times where there was only like three, three yeah, me too. nominated animated features, and they were all pretty much Disney like. Yeah. Uh, maybe Sony DreamWorks, uh, DreamWorks yeah. or something like that. But yeah, this, you've got all different studios, all different styles of animation. It's pretty cool. And so. it's not like, you know, there are two sequels in there, Toy Story 4 and the How to Train Your Dragon, mm-hmm. but they left out Frozen 2. You know, so it's yeah. like they weren't just going with proven juggernaut films. So sure. I thought that was kind of surprising. I agree. I agree. Again, I, 
I don't have a, a, a dog in the fight on this one since I haven't seen them. So <laughs> sure. I'll just be happy if anything but to- Toy Story 4 wins. Well, and I don't need the, another How to Train Your Dragon film. So let's I say <laughs> I'd be happy if it was one of the other three just because I think that really would kind of shake things up a little bit. So, okay. all right. How about the best documentary feature, Chris? What do we got there? Sure. So in that category, we have American Factory, The Cave, The Edge of Democracy, For Sama, and Honeyland. And of those five, I have seen four. I have seen zero. It does help. Here again, we're starting this whole role of talking about Netflix. Irishman was Netflix. Uh, Claws was Netflix. American Factory and Edge of Democracy are both Netflix. So, you know, started last year with Roma kind of getting buzz. And um, what was the documentary... Icarus that won yeah. for the, mm-hmm. so that was kind of like Netflix's first like hey look we won something mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's interesting that of the five nominees they have two um, who will win I have no idea it's also interesting uh, For Sama and The Cave are both have to do with uh, Syria and the war going on there right now so that could so two films about Syria but zero about the Apollo Eleven spaceflight. True. So no Apollo 11, which really, really disappointed me. And no Amazing Grace either, which is yeah, kind of which interesting. That one, I mean, I get it was a good documentary, but I, would it elevate to top five? I don't know. Apollo 11, though, to me was just a feat. And sure, I agree. I'll be mentioning it later in the show, but uh, that was that and Napita Nyong'o not getting for us was probably my two biggest, like, wow, like shocks reading the nominations when they came out Monday morning. So. Yeah, I, I agree. It that was I was really surprised because yeah, even critics and audience, it was just like so high, and then yeah, nothing, nothing. Um, so I guess um, who do I think the Academy will pick? I'm gonna lean towards. I think I'm gonna lead towards For Sama. Okay. And um, sure. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. And uh, I would. I think that these are all pretty strong. It's a strong category. Yeah. Um, I'll say that. I hope that one does win. Okay. So good. Um, all right. So before we get to best picture, one last one, best international feature film. And I am using the new title of this, uh, instead of foreign language film. However, Chris, it brings up a quick question for me. I just thought sure. about honestly this morning in the shower thinking about this. Okay. So when you call it best foreign language film, granted, I realize, like you, like you said, that's, that's an issue. That's a problem because then you run into problems like, Films that, you know, whether they use foreign language or not throughout the film, if they're made in another country, they should be eligible for this. For instance, the one that was made in Africa, but they spoke a lot of English in the majority of the film. But now, saying the best international feature film, the Academy Awards are an American institution. So does that mean any film like in England, like 1917, produced and filmed in England, should technically be an international feature film? That's an interesting question. Okay, just kind of throwing it out there. I'm glad they changed the name of it, but now if you're saying it's not foreign language, then that means English-speaking films that are not made in America are technically international films. Well, isn't Star Wars made at Pinewood Studios in England? Yeah, but I could argue that the whole production, production of it, like of a life. heavy production studio, is in America. Yeah, but you got Australia, you got England, True. you got, I mean, places where they're speaking English. Uh, it's just, you know, the films are not American. So shouldn't that be international feature film? Anyway, yeah. a, a discussion I, for another day. I would like to see the, yeah. Cause I'm sure the Academy, like they say that. And then somebody brings up the point. They're just like, oh, oh great. Here we go. <laughs> Best non-English speaking <laughs> right. international. Not feature speak, film. Like I imagine the details yeah. for this are like, Ugh. it's like, 
a whole heavy document, white papers on like, yeah. okay, here's the clarification. From on this these countries. <laughs> it has to be from one of these specified countries. Oh, yeah. man. Uh, okay. Anyway, the nominations sure. are Corpus Christi. Honeyland, which was also for a documentary feature. Kind of interesting to have it in both it categories. It is. Yeah, it was yeah. kind of surprising. Uh, Les Miserables, Pain and Glory, which uh, did get nominated for Best Actor as well. And then Parasite, which uh, we've mentioned already before. Uh, notably, No Portrait of a Woman on Fire. That was a very interesting is, omission. Yeah, because... Uh, that one's gotten all the buzz lately from critics and yeah. people loving it the last few months. And it, it, Yeah, because I hadn't really heard about Corpus Christi, really. No. Um, Les Miserables, I had heard a little about. Um, and so, and Pain of Glory is Pedro Almodovar. Right, so you kind of expect um, it. Yeah. So, I, Parasite's going to win this, though, right? I mean, I, it has to. I think it's going to win it because it did win the Golden Globe. And I hope it does win it. And it's the only one of the five, I mean, that actually made it to the best picture field, too. True. That we're so going to mention think it's in a second. shoe-in so for, yeah. I kind of be like, it would be a shock if Parasite didn't win best international feature film at this point. Right. Because then what's the argument there? It's like, okay, it's it's one of the nine or you know, however many best, best picture nominees, but it's not good enough to say it's the best international <laughs> film. Just, it doesn't work. So right. there's, no, there's no rhyme or reason for that. Okay, Chris, let's hit the best picture then. And talk about this. Okay. Before we close out with that category, yeah. I'm just going to mention real quick. Oh, okay. Because um, I think it's kind of interesting. Kind of a, you know, you mentioned Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Interesting admission. I mentioned Frozen 2. Original song. You okay. know, normally not a very contested category. You know, there are songs nominated. We have I Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away from Toy Story 4, which is what I think is probably going to win. Mm. And I'd be happy with it because it actually centers around the four key character. It makes sense. Anyways. Um, we have a rehash song by Love Me Again and Rocket Man, Elton John. He wrote it. I think it's one that happens towards the end credits, which kind of would let you know why I don't like it. Um, I'm standing with you from a film breakthrough that I did not see. I, and did I don't not know either. many people who did, but it's nominated In the Unknown from Frozen 2. That is the token nomination for Frozen 2 and Stand Up from Harriet. Okay. Now, I've read you those songs and some of which, you know, you're like, what? Okay. I cannot believe that Glasgow, No Place Like Home, in parentheses, from uh, Wild, Wild Rose, Rose, was not nominated. I'm yeah. not saying it would have a chance of beating Toy Story 2 or our Toy Story's 4 song or a Frozen 2 song, but I cannot believe it was not even nominated, especially considering you're throwing like the Rocket Man, Rocket Man song or the Breakthrough song or the song from Harry. Like, I don't know. I I just it's yeah. such a pivotal pivotal no, song. No, no, it's a great song, and that so. that was a surprise for me as well. So, I'm, as much as I enjoyed Rocket Man, I will give you that that song that was nominated from it was not a great song to put up there. So, uh, I would be fine taking that off the list and replacing <laughs> it with the one from Wild Rose. But okay, you know, that's not that's not our job, unfortunately. No, so we don't get not. to do that. All right, let's let's talk about Best Picture though. To wrap this all up, we Sounds did have good. the following nominees for Best Picture. Ford versus Ferrari, or Ford v. Ferrari, I guess you got to technically call it. <laughs> sure. The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. Um, we already mentioned this earlier with Aquafina not getting nominated for Best Actress, but The Farewell is probably one film that I was a little surprised didn't make the Best Picture film, because it just... Seemed like it had all the right elements going for it to go to, to show up in that field. Uh, Ford v Ferrari was a surprise for me to show up in here. I did yeah, not think that too. that was going to be one of the the top ones. All the others make sense. 
I mean, I feel like sure. that's probably where the list was going to go anyway. I don't think there was anything shocking in there outside of Ford v. Ferrari being there instead of the farewell. That would be my only thing. If those two were swapped, I think the list is like, yeah, this is kind of what I would expect for the, the best film, film of I, the year. I would have liked um, to see us represented in Best Picture. Us not that I think nice. it would have won, but you know, after yeah. you snub no, Lupita Nyong'o, nice. it's kind of like a snowball effect where they're just not going to recognize... Yeah the writing or anything for that category. So uh, a beautiful day in the neighborhood would have been nice to see it, it there as nice. well. Yeah. But I get it. I mean, I, I get if not as many people saw the film or maybe sure. it just didn't resonate with everybody as much. Uh, I think the fact that the, would have been nice. A lot of people probably had the notion that you and I did before seeing a beautiful day in the neighborhood, that it would be a lot like the documentary. And so therefore we're like, Which, eh, we've the documentary was, yeah, we've already seen that. Yeah. So, so Chris, what is your prediction? Where's the Academy going to go? Not you personally, but where's the Academy going for Best Picture? You know, it is really tough to say. Mm. See, it's one of those things where, like, you feel the buzz, like, a week beforehand. You're like, okay, now I know this. Um, we're a little bit still farther out. I feel like I'm, I feel like it's probably going to be maybe 1917. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I want Parasite to win, but I don't think no. Parasite will. I think it'll take foreign language or excuse me, international, international feature, feature, but, um, 1917, right. I guess. My prediction is once upon a time in Hollywood, again, I, think I feel like surprised. that's going to be, that's going to be, I think that's going to be the film. I think that's the film that everybody's going to talk about and afterwards. Quentin be like, Tarantino's oh, wow. speech will be oh, ridiculous. It will be kind of crazy. <laughs> um, I personally would love to see marriage story was just not going to happen. Right. Or Parasite, which there's a snowball's chance it could happen. Snowballs. Yeah. 1917, I just think is going to win the technical awards, but I don't think it's going to win Best Picture. That's just my prediction. Who was your call? But your call was for director, which is technical. Well, yeah, I I consider director a more closer to more technical aspect. Sure. Um, I think if Once Upon a Time in Hollywood does not get it from the Academy, I think you could see a real shock with, well, not a It wouldn't be a shock. Joker could win it. Which, man, I don't want to be on Twitter the day after (laughs) or that night after that happens because there will be some very unhappy people. But uh, Joker could win it. And then you could also throw a curveball and get the Irishman winning it just because even if it doesn't win a lot in the other categories, I think they look at it more as a complete picture. The best picture to me has always been one where they take it's it's a complete collection of elements. Mm -hmm. There's not one aspect of a film that's great. So 1917, that's where I think it, it falls out of the category. Because once you remove the technical aspect, there's not a lot there to make it a best picture. Mm-hmm. Um, Parasite to me is a complete movie. Oh, man. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, eh, I'd say is a complete movie. Um, Marriage Story, I get it. It's technically not the most impressive film. It sure. is an acting film, and that's pretty much it. Right. So there's a lot of factors. Little Women, I think, you know, it's tough for literary adapt adaptations and, and remakes and all to yeah. win. Um, Jojo Rabbit just didn't. As much as I love the film, I just think a a lot of people in the audience and maybe some voters don't feel comfortable voting for a film that kind of has fun with Nazis at times. You know, that's just going to not work for everybody. And then 4V Ferrari has all the right elements to be best picture. It's just not a super great film. It's a good film. It's an adequate film, but it just doesn't have anything propelling it to the higher level. So I think it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Joker could be a winner. And then Irishman would be a long shot. That's kind of my three predictions. I think the only thing that saves Joe, well, yeah, 
Joker was nominated for directing, so then it makes you think it could sneak in with Best Picture. I'm just saying, uh, you know, stranger things have happened, you know? (laughs) True. Um, But I I would like either Marriage Story or Parasite to win. Yeah. So that is the Oscar nominations for 2019 films for the 2020 ceremony. I feel like other than the snubs we mentioned or surprises, minus one, two, maybe three big surprises, I thought overall it was a pretty fair list of nominations. You know, I mean, there's not any on here that I'm just like outraged about or anything. Um, I think even in the best picture category, there's not a green book. There's not a film that I look at and say, oh, please don't let this film win. Um Ford v. Ferrari might be the furthest out there to say, wow, if that wins, that would just be a big letdown. But I enjoyed the film. I had a good time with it. I just don't think it's best picture category. Sure. Um, all the rest of them, if they were to win, it'd be like, huh, interesting. You know, I don't see a lot of outrage. Jericho will be the one where there will be dumpsters on fire, like, you know, when you're driving to work <laughs> in the morning and stuff going crazy from it, just because I think there's a lot of mixed emotions about there, that film. Yeah, it was a, it was a divisive yeah. film, divisive film, yeah. So, all right, well, we will definitely see when the ceremony comes up on February 9th. We'll make sure we kind of recap the big winners uh, in one of our episodes following that ceremony whenever we record next from that. Chris, let's take a really quick break. When we come back, we just got the uh, our, our really, it's our best of segments to end up the show with. It's our best of 2019. This is what people have been waiting for yes. all year. And here it is. We're finally giving it they, to you, our listeners. They can't close out the year until we do. No, no. We can thing. officially say 2019 is done, done after right. this next segment. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Just a quick reminder, before we get to our best of 2019, you are listening to this podcast on The Mesh Network. It is found at themesh.tv, T-H-E-M-E-S-H.tv, where you can find a lot of original and interesting podcasts to subscribe to. They're all free. They're easy to download. You can use your podcast app of choice, whether it's your iPhone, your Android phone, your computer, your tablet, whatever it may be. There's plenty of ways to listen, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, all those services as well. So if you want to go back and either listen to back episodes, let's say there's a film that uh, we talked about in the past that you just really caught up with, go back and download the episode where we give a review of it and hear us talk about it. It's a good way to spend a a little bit of time. And uh, as always, we'd love to hear your feedback. We'll give you some instructions at the end of the show about how to do that. So with Chris, let's get on to the final big segment of our show, and it is best of 2019. Now, what we're going to do is each of us have our top five mm-hmm. films of the year. How about let's kind of alternate five upwards, okay. so, and we'll do that. Then, just so everybody knows, after we do that, we're going to talk about our each of us have our biggest disappointment from the year, and then ending up with our biggest surprise. Um, try to keep those a little. I mean, I don't know if you're going to have overlap between your top five and your surprise and disappointment. I don't know. We'll see. Pur- purposely, I've made it so I do You made it through a, yeah. a clean list. and all. Yes. I'm, I'm the same way. I've tried to put different ones on, on both lists. So with that, let's go ahead and start with our number five film. Chris, why don't you do the honors and start us off? Sure. Uh, we've reviewed it here on the show and talked about how surprised we were. Uh, but it is not my biggest surprise because I don't want to have duplicates. But 
A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Okay. Loved the film that ha- takes a look at Mr. Rogers, but also you consider a journalist who is writing a story about him. Um, what that film was able to do, how it was able to surprise me, the performances, just and the innovativeness of using models and some of the things to mm-hmm. kind of set up shots. Um, just just awesome. I really liked it. So A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is my number five. Okay. Very, very good choice. My number five, we have... We reviewed it. We brought it as a foot candle film screening to our community, and we mentioned it earlier in our Oscar nominations, but unfortunately, from the category of it did not show up in the Oscar nominations, that was the documentary Apollo 11. Um, I just am still dumbfounded by how they put this thing together. Uh, if you would have told me, and actually I remember when we decided to show that film to our film society, and, and we had not seen it yet, I, I was interested because I've always kind of enjoyed the space program and reading about that. But this idea of just taking a lot of footage that was shot and just stitching it together with no narration, no real, you know, uh, interviews, no headshots, discussion of what's going on, sounded really boring to me. And then when I watched the film, I was really impressed with how they put it together. They made a compelling story out of something that we've all seen. We've all seen the moon landing. We've all know the story. But taking this footage and just this beautiful footage shot at the time um, really gave it a sense of awe and just understanding the depth of people involved in doing this. I loved it. It's what a documentary to me should do, and I loved it for that reason, which made it even more disappointing that it wasn't in the nom- the nomination list. But it's is my number five of the year. Oh, man, is it too late to change my biggest surprise? Well, I won't because um, <laughs> okay. I like my biggest surprise. But, yeah, yeah, that that was definitely a surprise of this year that Apollo 11. I can see it's a it's Yeah, a if joy. you described it on paper to me, I've been like, uh, yeah, I'll pass. Uh, you know. <laughs> I kind of felt the same way a little bit about the Aretha Franklin film. It's like, oh, it's just a concert film of her performing. But again, they did a lot more with it. Apollo 11, just, I mean, I give credit to the editor, to the person who decided how to put this together and make it thrilling and just a great, great story they told with it. So, all right. What's your number four? So my number four is Us, the Jordan Peele's follow-up to uh, Get Out. Uh, it features Lupita Nyong'o, who, as we've mentioned, was snubbed for Best Actress. Um, I really liked this film. It was kind of a – you could see where he was going after Get Out. You know, you could kind of see what he was thinking about, how he's working. He kind of stepped up his game, I felt like, with uh, us. I can't wait to see what he does next, his next film that he decides to put out. Um, yeah, us was definitely – and I think, you know, unfortunately – this could play into some of the Oscar forgetfulness. It came out in early 2019. So by the time you yeah. get to the end of 2019, a lot of people were like, eh. um, I think that was a little bit of a challenge for the film too. Yeah. And, uh, and I think too, it had a little bit of a sophomore expectations to it where people love get out so much. And I think a lot of people went into us like I did the first time. And I liked it the first time. Didn't love it the first time. Mm-hmm. It took me a second viewing, but I've okay. seen the second viewing and since the second viewing, it's, I love it. It's sure. a great film. Um, so I may be a little bit dealing with that too, is that people think wanted to go in expecting a certain type of film. They got something they weren't expecting and they're maybe a little let down by it. So, um, but no, I, I think it deserves to be up on the list. I agree. Well, what's your number four, Alan? My number four has been mentioned already. Uh, the only nomination, well, it got nominated for best picture and got nominated for best supporting actress and it is Jojo Rabbit. Okay. Um, I understand why there's some trepidation about the film. I get it. I actually watched it for a second time just the other night, just mainly to kind of see 
if I'm looking at it from a viewpoint of are, you know, are people feeling like the Nazis in this film are too somewhat sympathetic? Do you feel like you're kind of having fun with this idea of Nazi characters? I get it, but I think if you kind of use that criticism, you're looking too much on the surface and not looking deeper at what the film's really saying. Um, it's not a perfect film, but I probably had the most enjoyment and mix of emotions watching this film. It really, it goes places I don't expect. I will say uh, later in the film is probably less interesting to me than the first half of the film. I absolutely adore the first 30, 45 minutes of this film. But the young actor playing the JoJo is great. So, mm-hmm. so good. Scarlett Johansson is probably the best performance I've seen her give outside of maybe Under the Skin. Um, she's just really good. She has a great personality in this film. And then, um, I mean, it's just fun. And Taika Waititi as, as Hitler. Okay, yeah. Uh, could it have been maybe one scene too many with it? Possibly. But I still liked him when he was on screen. And they did something interesting with him where just when you start to feel like he's being used for comic relief, they turn and you see a much darker side sure. and it reminds you about two thirds of the way through the film. Oh yeah. I'm supposed to hate these guys. Right. And I remember why now. And I think the film does that. I think if you just go in saying, Oh, it's Nazis are funny and all that. I don't like this film because it's insulting. I think you're kind of missing it personally. So Jojo rabbits, my, my uh, number four, I really, really appreciate that film. It's one I need to revisit. I liked it, but it didn't make my top five. And I think if I revisited it, it might sneak on there, but yeah, um, I'm really curious to see what, Taiko does next. Sure. Because I really enjoyed Hunt for the Wilder People. Of course, I enjoy what, what they do in the shadows. I uh, really like this one a lot. I think his films have actually gotten better each ones I've seen. I think Love and Thunder is his next one. The oh, Thor the Thor movie. movie. Yeah, Which, I think. Yeah, Thor Ragnarok, eh, I liked. Uh, I thought it I liked it better than you did. You did. I thought <laughs> it, uh, I was wanting more out of it, but it was fine. It was good. It was a better than normal average Marvel film, so I'm, I'm happy with that. Sure. All right. Number three, Chris, what do you got? Number three is Loose for me. Um, wow. I really like that. Yeah. Loose making some strong performance in Chris's, uh, <laughs> Chris's end of the year here. I mean, you've got Naomi Watts. You've got Tim Roth. You've got Kelvin Harrison Jr. Got it. Yes. You finally have memorized it. <laughs> it should never leave your Maybe. brain now. Um, and Octavia Spencer. Mm-hmm. All are giving really good performances. Um, it's very timely subject matter about race and identity, uh, peer pressure, family pressure, academic pressure, just all these elements um, just really combined to make a really – Good film. It's yeah. tense. It is. Some people I could see would say it's a one timer for them. <laughs> um, it actually, I've only seen it once, but that's just because I've had all these films to catch up with at the end of the year. I look forward to watching it again. Um, I just, I really like it, and not enough people have seen it. I feel like agreed. So it's it's my number three. Okay, good call. Good call. All right. So my number three. You've already mentioned it. Uh, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Okay. Um. What can I say? You you summed it up pretty well all the elements uh, of it. Uh, I went in very surprised, uh, liking it a lot more. It probably would be one of my bigger surprises if I didn't have it up on this list. Um, And I I loved it for the fact that, you know, uh, that it wasn't really about Mr. Rogers or Fred Rogers specifically as much. It was just a great human film where I just felt like these were real people. I get what they're going through. I think it told a great story around them. Uh, Matthew Reese, I thought was really great in the lead performance oh, yeah. role. Kind of a shame he didn't get nominated, but it was a tough field. I get it, but he, man, he was so good. Um, 
So I really liked A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And I think the creative use of the models and transitions and even the opening of the film, which kind of caught me off guard in a good way. Uh, it was great. It was just, a, and, I mean, you know, emotional too. I, my, my, my sons and wife had to watch me ball like a baby halfway through that film. So, <laughs> you know, it's got that going for it too. Sure. So, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I think you and I both have on our list here. So, all so, right. You're up to number two. Sure. Number one, I thinking we're probably going to hit into some uh, ditto territory here, but we'll okay. see. Speaking of bawling like a baby, um, I don't think I bawled like a baby, but I definitely got dusty in the theater. Uh, marriage Story, that's going to be my, my number two. Um, you know, the performances we've already talked about on our review, we already you know, mentioned some of them in the Oscar talk. It's it's well-deserved. Um, Despite the fact, you know, this is kind of like an update to Kramer versus Kramer. (laughs) And it's called Marriage Story, but obviously it's about divorce. Um, But knowing all that, so it's not like you're just doing this completely new subject matter or something, but just the way it was handled, the writing and the acting, make it rise above what would just be just another divorce movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Marriage Story, I think, was pretty good. It was also kind of a surprise for me because I was surprised it was as good as it was. Um, but with the actors and the director involved, you know, I figured it'd be good, but not as good. So that's my number two marriage story. All right. Just because it's going to be awkward doing this because we are flip flopping on stuff. I'm ah. going to go ahead and comment on marriage story, but it's my number one. Okay. Okay. So just because I know where your you number one is and which is my <laughs> number two. So anyway, uh, marriage story. Yeah. It's my number one film of okay. the year. I loved it. I adore this film. I've seen it three times now. Okay. Um, I think it's an acting powerhouse. I think it's the way it's told where, yeah, I know some people are criticizing saying that it's maybe told a little bit too much in favor of the, the male figure versus mm. the female. And I think it depends on which time you look at it. Sure. I mean, obviously I've seen it three times and each time I've come away with a different impression of okay. the film's not meant to be a who's at fault movie. It's to show that, look, these are two people who loved each other and it just didn't work. And there are reasons why, and you can try to pick sides all you want. But the film, I think, is better off when you don't pick sides and just look at it as, unfortunately, a situation you go through. What can you make of it? How can you how can you how can you do the best you can with it? And I love the way it ended. I think it's just a perfect ending. I think it's a perfect opening. I think it's a perfect ending to the film. I mean, everything in between is good too. But the you know, if you can <laughs> catch me in the first 10, 15 minutes with a great opening of the film, sure. with the montage of what they like about each other, and then the ending, I thought is just a perfect, nice little ending. I'm like, yeah, everything in the middle is great, but you get me at the beginning and end, you got me locked in. So Marriage Story is my number one movie of the year. Chris, I know what your number one film is and it's my number two so you go ahead and talk about it so okay i mean okay um yeah you're guessing so you probably didn't know that cats was gonna oh no no, you wrecked my whole list so no no it's it's parasite which is you know it's probably a drinking game by now people listening to this podcast or the review like from here on out you know it's just every time chris mentions it take a drink um yeah i just Liked so many elements of this film, the acting, the story, the cinematography, the directing, the surprises. You know, a lot of times Mm -hmm. it's what, you know, the twists in the film that kind of catch me off guard and where things end. And, you know, it's just it had a great beginning, but it also had a really great, like really stuck the ending at the end um, and made it kind of not in Hollywood when you thought maybe it was going to Um, just I just can't say enough positive about the film. I will say. You know, because you've obviously you slated it as your number two, and mm-hmm. I had Mary's story. 
the thing for me that I will, you know, a lot of times you could just hit random and put any of these five movies in almost any of the slots and it'd work. You know, it's a really close neck and neck score. But the originality Mm -hmm. of Parasite is what gave it the slight bump ahead of Marriage Story. Marriage Story, really good. But just the creative ideas behind Parasite really had it in the number one spot for me. Wow. I mean, and I know we just talked about this film like just an episode or two ago, so it's kind of still fresh in our minds. But, yeah, I love Parasite. Uh, I I appreciate it the second time even more so than the first time. I think there's a lot to chew on. There's a lot being said. Yeah, you compare it to a marriage story. Marriage story is very kind of fairly singular in its intent and focus. And Parasite's got multiple things. Uh, it's hats, it's swearing, and things it's juggling at one time. Right. Um, yeah, I, I had to really sit down and look because all, uh, marriage story is still kind of off on its own for me. <laughs> okay. Parasite is also off on its own for number two. You know, there's a big gap between Parasite and like the rest of my list. Gotcha. So, um, but yeah, I think you know, I mentioned, uh, would I have changed a couple little details about in the CODA sequence? I, I would have, me personally, that would have made it a perfect shining five star mm-hmm. and like no reservation film. That's probably what just dropped it just a little bit to say, you know what, the marriage story I've got no issue with. There's nothing I can point out to say I just don't think worked in that film. So, hmm. but hey, we're talking about two really, really good films here. Yeah, so, true. yeah, it's interesting. I, I was curious if our top two were going to end up. The similar Flip after flopping. the last couple months and some of the screenings we've talked about. So that's great. So let me make sure I've got this. You are uh, Parasite, Marriage Story, Loose, Us, and uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Yes. I am Marriage Story, Parasite, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Jojo Rabbit, and Apollo 11. So you've got Loose and Us as kind of unique ones on your list, and I've got Jojo Rabbit and Apollo 11. So. Yeah, both Good out, interesting outline. I think it's a good list. I'm going to mention just really quickly, not going to say anything more about them, but just these are other films I had that were kind of in that four star more category for me, ranking wise. Okay. I felt bad not finding a place in the top five, but they just didn't fit. Us was on my, my okay. honorable mention list. The Irishman is, I gave it four stars. I really enjoyed it. Loose was a four star uh, one for me. And then. One I know you're going to have an issue with, but I don't care. I'm putting it on here. And that's Rocket Man, I think, <laughs> oh, is up there for me. Wow. And then Joker. Uh, say what you will about Joker, and I understand, again, why. Kind of like with Jojo Rabbit. I get why people don't like it. I get why it's divisive. But I've got to give it to it. It's a good movie. I think it actually works as a film. So it's up there. You know, it didn't make my top five. wasn't going to be anywhere close to it. But it squeaked in at, like, maybe number 10 or so. Hmm. So. Okay. Any others you want to call out, or are you good with our list? No, I'm pretty good with my list. Okay. You're going to stick to the five, and you're happy with that. I'm going to stick to my five, yeah. So let's do our last little bit here, just because, you know, it's it's one thing to be the best of the year, and we've we've listed those. But we also want to recognize films that lived up to or maybe didn't live up to the expectations we had for them. Uh, We don't like picking out worst films. We're not talking about worst films when we say our biggest disappointment. We are saying a film that maybe we had high hopes for, should have been better given the pedigree and the talent involved and just didn't work. We felt like it was a big disappointment for us. So Chris, I think I could kind of guess you tell me if I'm right, that if I was just to ask you just point blank, what would it be? Probably it's star Wars rise of Skywalker. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think it's just recency bias of something yeah, that I just no, recently saw just, that I was, I, yeah, but that I, so I guess we're just going to make this our memorial. You and I both just automatically would say that that was one that, you know, uh, again, I liked it a little better than you did. I, I think there's at least some, some elements of value there, but man, 
to be the last film and to go out the way it did, it just was a big disappointment. So let's set that one aside. Okay. And let's talk about our other big disappointment of the year. Chris, what have you got for us? So I have a film that uh, we reviewed on the show. Um, I think you were a little higher on it than I was. It came out in June, uh, which made part of the problem. It was Jim Jarmusch's The Dead Don't Die. Well, yeah. So it's a director I admire. The cast was great. You had Tom Waits, Adam Driver, Bill Murray, um, Steve Buscemi, lots of other cameos in there as well. And it was, you know, a zombie, ostensibly like a zombie comedy movie. Um, a town finds itself being overrun with a zombie horde. And, it, you know, it was like a schlocky B-movie kind of was what he was going for. But it was also just so heavy-handed in the political message that I wasn't really kind of expecting. And it just, you know, it, it, it would have work. been a funny Saturday Night Live skit, but not an hour and 44 minute movie. Mm-hmm. So Agreed. yeah, it just, it was, it was probably my biggest disappointment. Okay. I, I I'm with you there. That was a disappointment based on what I was hoping to get when I went into it. Mine was, um, very early in the year. I actually okay. forgot that it was a 2019 film, oh, technically the way okay. it was released. Um, I should not have gotten my hopes up with M night Shyamalan. Oh. Shyamalan should have taught me years ago, not to get my hopes up that I eventually I was going to be disappointed. <laughs> So it's probably on me going into this with high hopes, but I did go into high, with high hopes to glass only because it's a perfect setup. I mean, come on, this guy had all of fandom rising at his touch. It's like, Oh, you did this thing with glass and people liked the movie or not, not glass, um, a split. split. That was a big shock. Everybody loved the movie split more than you thought they would. And they put that little teaser at the end and everybody's been wanting an unbreakable sequel for like 20 years. It's like all the elements were coming together. Shyamalan's on the upswing. Everybody's saying he's back. <laughs> and here we're going to bring all this together, and it's going to be great. And I saw the film. I'm like, uh, that just didn't <laughs> work. You know, there, the movie has its fans, but I'm just not one of them. I, I, I think you flame out with such a dull kind of uninspiring film that just – I get that Shyamalan was trying to fight expectations and say instead of doing this big – uh, gigantic movie that brought us together. He made it smaller and seeming almost like more insignificant. And it was a bold decision to do and end it with this very anticlimactic fight and just tease a big confrontation, all the movie. And then you don't even get to that location. You do it out in the front yard. It just seemed like it was just a big letdown. You know, I came out of that movie saying, man, that movie could have been something, but instead, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I really don't understand what happened. Very disappointing. And to see a great character, like one of the few Bruce Willis characters that has actually worked for me in the last 20 years, mm. to kind of just be underused and kind of uh, poorly handled at the end, it was just, it was a big disappointment. So I, I need to, you know, I've only seen it once and I was disappointed, especially some of the end stuff was terrible. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to actually revisit it at some point and see mm. now that I've let that go, how good the other 80% of the film is. Um, Alan's giving me, I don't remember anything good out of it. That's the thing. I can't, (laughs) I can't remember any good scenes. I can't remember any moments of like, Oh man, that was a really good moment. I got nothing. Okay. I really, the opening, if you remember, it's the opening where Bruce Willis's character, David Dunn is like tracking down that group of cheerleaders that got kidnapped by, uh, the split uh, character that gave me promise. That was like the 10 first 10, 15 minutes. I felt like, okay, this is what I'm in here for. Let's see it. 
and then it just lost track. The whole rest of the movie takes place in the mental hospital, and then it all ends on the front yard, and it's just, oh, it was just not good. So very disappointing for me. All right, so that's our disappointment. Yes. Let's end on a happy note. Yes. Because we, we've talked about our top five, but there are films that also really surprised us. Mm-hmm. Maybe they weren't the best of the year, but they were a lot better than they probably deserve to be. So with that, Chris, what is your biggest surprise of the year? My biggest surprise, I think, will surprise you unless okay. you're going to surprise me and also have it as your biggest surprise, okay. <laughs> which could be because I have no idea what you have. Um, and I'm going to say it and then immediately look at your face to... <laughs> So my biggest surprise of the year was Serenity. <laughs> yes. And Alan is a little surprised. Okay. All right. Okay. This is the movie that reminded me of how a bad movie can be so, so, so much fun. Matthew McConaughey and company and the WTF nature of the film made for an unforgettable cinematic experience. Granted, I have not seen Cats yet. Um, but, but, you know, okay. that film, yeah. I'm not saying it's a good film, but if you want to say what is a biggest surprise, that movie and just everything that happened and it was like, wait, what? And it was like twists, but just kind of a, yeah, I just, I can't explain it. But if you want kind of a unique cinematic no, experience. That. And I it had fun, that. it was a bad movie that I had fun watching. And that sure. was a surprise because a lot of times, with bad movies, I just am irritated on them. Yeah, 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 irritated at them. But no, that was that was my biggest surprise. So I think I have surprised Alan, but I, I want to know what is your biggest surprise. <laughs> so all right, well, I've got a little bit of a cheat. So I okay. wanted to give it to Little Women. Oh, because you know it's not a movie I was at all looking forward to. I, I Even though that. Greta Gerwig, I I, I should have known going in that it was going to be good because I, I did like Lady Bird as well. Okay. Um, and the cast is great and everything. So, yeah, that, I, I, I shouldn't have gone in with low expectations. I, I should have gone in with higher expectations. So I'm not going to make that my biggest surprise. That, it was a pretty much surprise that it I was, liked it as much as I did. I, yeah. It's not my type of movie. Gotcha. I'm, I'm saying literary adaptation. Period adaptation. It's been done so many yeah. times over and story's been told. I, I wasn't looking forward to it. Sure. But it was a, I'll give it a little surprise. A little <laughs> okay. bit. Okay. No, okay. This one's I want. I, I can't wait. What is if it? If we want to reach into a film that I had... Zero expectation going in and actually enjoyed quite a bit. Togo, the Disney film on Disney Plus. Several things you would not have sold me on about this film. Okay. It's A, it premiered on Disney Plus. Okay, that's fact number one. Two, it's an untold true story set in the winter of 1925, uh, Alaskan tundra, and it's a uh, William Dafoe. Was this it, one of your recommendations on a yeah. recent show? Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Willem Dafoe, a Disney movie, a dog sled, a man and his dog. I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm kind of a sucker for those kind of movies, but I would not expect it to be good. <laughs> sure. And this was actually a pretty good movie. Actually, even cinematography-wise, I was really impressed with how it looked. It's a good-looking film. Willem Dafoe has a few moments where he kind of goes a little on the uh, absurd side with his performance, which I love. It okay. actually made the film kind of elevate a little bit for me. So Togo on Disney Plus, I'm saying, you know, I know it's not one you can watch in a movie theater, but and so it was a pretty good movie. It was my biggest surprise because okay. I did not go in with any, any sort of expectation. I don't consider it. that a cheat at all. Okay. I think that's warranted. Okay. But, but Little Women, I do have to say, is sure. also, it was a really nice surprise too. So, okay. Whew. So 2019 is done, right? Yes. We've, we have told the world what are the, what the best films of 2019 were. So that is locked in stone. That's the way it will be remembered for decades to come. 
We have talked about our disappointments. We talked about our surprises. We did review the film 1917 at the top of the show. And we have, I feel like, successfully predicted all of the Oscar nominations oh, sure. for this year. Without a doubt. We will, that's going to be the shame when we come back to our show after the Oscars. It's going to be kind of a boring show because it's going to be like, well, yeah, everything won that we predicted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there won't be any changes no. to what we, what we predict. Never. So with that, we are ready to wrap up the show and wrap up the year. This has been Foot Candle Films here on the TV. Chris, people I'm sure have opinions. They have disagreements or want to uh, confirm their agreement with you on, on Serenity. They want to talk about Serenity. They want to dissect it mm. with you. How can they go about doing so? So you can begin that conversation by sending us an email to info at the mesh.tv. You can also follow us on Twitter at Foot Candle Film. And then Al and I also have accounts on Letterboxd. You can track what we're seeing and get brief reviews or thoughts about what we've thought about the films. And that's basically a lot of the ways you can get in touch with us. Uh, You can also leave us a review or give us a star rating on iTunes, and that will help us reach more listeners, which we always appreciate. And, of course, my last duty is to mention the Foot Candle Film Festival, which is going to be running September 23rd through the 27th. So, you know, it's early now, but, you know, we always like to mention it because it's a lot of fun. So if you can make plans to attend, we'd love to have you. That's great. A lot of stuff going on. It's going to be a great 2020. We're excited to dig into a whole new crop of movies that are coming out in the coming months. And, of course, as we lead up to our festival in September. So with that, we're going to go and close out the show. Thanks so much for listening to Foot Candle Films, and we'll look forward to talking to you uh, very, very soon. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.